We have been in the Beatitudes, and another way of calling them Beatitudes is how to live in God's kingdom. Now that you're a follower of Christ, now that you've been taken out of the realm of darkness and entered into a glorious kingdom, how shall we live? That's a good question. How are we supposed to live? Now, I wish I had a little... uh, uh, a water kit. Now, Tammy and I, we once owned a pool years ago. and We loved it. Oh, I wish we had it now. Thank you, Jesus. But we don't. But every week I had to check the chemistry. You ever have to do that for a pool or something? You have to uh, look at the water. The water looks clean. It looks clear. It looks like there's nothing wrong. And you have to put chemicals in it. And because of the chemicals, You can find out what the chlorine level is, the pH level, the alkalinity, whether there's hardness, too much hardness. Everything has to kind of be right so your pool doesn't get eaten away by the chemistry. Do you ever wish that you had the little kit to test your relationships? Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, you take a little strip, you put it in the water, and it tells you all these indicators. Could you imagine if there was a test that you could just test every one of your relationships to see if it's healthy or caustic or needing attention or needing love. You're laughing, and I don't know why you're laughing at me. You'd rather live in denial. Okay, yeah, okay, let's let's not go there. Like water, it's hard to test on appearances. You have to actually look at the chemistry in your heart. Are you with me on that? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the old-fashioned way. How healthy is your relationship with God? I don't want to see hands. I just want you to think, how healthy is your relationship with God? Because we've been talking about how to get right with God, others, and our own person inside. How healthy is your relationship with God? How healthy is your relationship with others? And not just the ones you like, okay? (laughs) That would be easy. Oh, my, all my relationships. Well, there are people that are upset with you, and there are people you're upset with. What are you doing? Have you done everything that God's asked you to do? You can't control somebody else. You can't. But how healthy are your relationships that are horizontal in nature? And the last one is, how are you in here? How's the chemistry of your own heart? Are you at peace with yourself and where you're at? You know, and so as just a little review of of the Beatitudes, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. And let's just read them again, but we'll start at the beginning. Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those beatitudes, as we've already covered, so I'm not going to belabor the point, are all this way. Do I finally realize I need God? Am I ashamed of the things I've done and I want Him to come and heal me? Do I have a new hunger in my heart to do things that are righteous and not the unrighteous? And then He turns the corner and starts talking about these relationships. And let's continue on. He goes on and says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Blessed are those who forgive people because you're going to get forgiveness. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And last week we covered blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. And today is here, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Don't like that word. Hard, hard word. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts with the kingdom of heaven, ends with the kingdom of heaven. And he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely because you're following Jesus. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So how well did you make amends the last few weeks? Are you a peacemaker? How well did you examine your faults, your faults, not the other person's faults, but your fault in the relationship? Were you being pure in heart? How well are you extending mercy just let me ask you, plain out, flat out, one to ten on a scale, one being lousy, ten being great, how great are you at, or how good are you at forgiving others that have hurt you? Now, if you would think that if you were forgiving, because you've learned that's how the kingdom operates, that you're pure in heart, that you're examining your own faults and you're trying to bring them to Jesus and say, Jesus, I had a stinky attitude this week. I really need your help. And he says, okay, you admitted it. Let's work on it. Woohoo! You're willing to look in the mirror to see all the little blemishes because you're okay with that. And the last one is, uh, are you a peacemaker? You're doing all these wonderful Christ-like things and then Jesus throws a zinger at you. He says, you're forgiving, you're loving, you're working on your own purity, you're, you're amending. When you, when you are foul-mouthed to somebody, you come back and you apologize, you're making amends, you're doing all these beautiful, beautiful things. And Jesus says, and now you're going to be persecuted. What? That doesn't make sense. If I'm kind to the person that's being mean to me, why, why is this happening to me? And that's where our, our brain gets a little jiggled, doesn't it? You think that when we're being loving and kind and forgiving and, and thinking the best and getting rid of our critical spirit, that the people around us would be jumping up and down for joy? But not everybody does. Why? What's that about? Let's look back at, at, at the text, beginning at, at verse 10 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is a tough, emotionally tough beatitude. If you forgive, you take ownership of your faults, you make amends, people catch this. I'll put my hands on my hip to make an emphasis. People are still going to reject you. 
people are still going to be upset with you. Even though you're more like Jesus than ever before, people are, can be rejecting you, ridiculing you, run away from the relationship. It doesn't make sense. The nicer I am to you, the meaner you are to me. I forgive, you hold a grudge more than ever before. I love you, and yet you despise me more. The more I love you, the more you despise me. That doesn't make sense, does it? But that's the way our world is. If you've been around the block any amount in this world, you know that's true. That this, this is the reality that we live in this worldly kingdom, and yet we're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So we have to ask the question, why? Right? Is that fair? Why? The more loving you get, the more people will despise you. Well, look at, turn your, in, in your Bible just at John chapter 15. Jesus is in the upper room. He's trying to encourage his disciples. And when I say the upper room, it's the night of his betrayal. It's, it's the, the beginning of the end. He's about to be crucified. And in chapter 15, beginning at verse 18, Jesus is trying to encourage and warn at the same time. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to also persecute you. If they kept my word, they're going to be good to you and they'll keep your word. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know and I'll just say what, who sent me, or they don't know God. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have been not guilty of sin, but now there are without excuse. Wow. Jesus just kind of nails that. Why are the followers of Christ persecuted? Because he was. It's just that simple. What persecution is not, though, let's, let's put that on the table so we don't claim persecution when we're really not being persecuted. If you're offensive, if you are a jerk to others, if you're foul-mouthed, you're obnoxious, you make life tough on other people and people persecute you, that's on you, right? Don't be a jerk. Don't be obnoxious. But if you're loving and kind, let me take a sidebar for just a second, okay? Tammy has to work at customer service for Kohl's. That's a tough job to do customer service. Can you see the, how working customer service could be a tough job? The more people get upset at Tammy because they don't get a discount or that something is wrong, the kinder Tammy has to get. Because, and the more kind Tammy gets, what do you think the other person on the other end of the counter is getting? You think they're getting kinder? No, they're getting more upset. Why? I don't know. Tammy's treating them with more love, more kindness, and because they know they're in the wrong, they just puff themselves up even more. Are you with me on this? Okay. So, it, 
understand that persecution isn't just because you're being obnoxious. Persecution is when you're working the steps. When you're, you're examining your heart, you're forgiving, you're doing all these things. So why persecution? We have to... Here are some, here are some reasons. They're not on your outline. They're just little hash marks. So, but they'll be up on the screen for you. If you want to write them down, you can. But let's look at the first one. When you are kind to somebody that's being unkind to you, it confronts character flaws in their own life. When I'm pointing at Stella, how many fingers are pointing back at me? You know the old adage, three are. And when you are being kind and I call you out, I am just pointing out my own character flaws and I'm going to defend them to the hilt, right? How about the next one? Another reason why persecution happens. It makes other people feel guilty. You're being loving and kind. Your, your child didn't get you a Christmas card or a Christmas gift, but you did. You would think that they'd be happy that they got a gift from you. But what's happening is they're feeling guilty because they've disrespected you. And so they're going to do what? Persecute you. How about the third one? It confronts their self-righteousness. For people that are self-righteous, we're all in competition. For some reason, they think that God grades on a curve. And only the top half get in heaven and the bottom half doesn't get in heaven. And so they think that they're earning their way to heaven, so they're going to outperform you by tearing you down. That's how that works in the real world. You have a coworker, you're both similarly qualified, but they want the promotion more than you, so what do they do? They're like Andy on The Office. They tear down Dwight Schrute. For any of you that have seen The Office, I know it's an old show, but that was a funny reference. You're laughing. Thank you. I have a courtesy laugh. But, what, but that's true. You tear down people to build yourself up. And that's how some of the persecution that happens. How about number four? Number four is holy living. That is yours. You're working the steps. Remember, you're becoming more forgiving. You're examining your own flaws and asking Jesus to, to, to work on that. You are being the peacemaker. Holy living raises the standard, but the world just wants to sling mud. I cannot believe what is happening in our politics today. And everybody said, Amen. It is ridiculous how our country is behaving. Everybody flinging mud at everybody. Is that going to solve anything? Absolutely not. How about the, the, the next one? Another reason people get persecuted? To see Christians fail and sin is a win for them. So they have what we call confirmation bias. Confirmation bias means I go looking for your faults. If I examine Waylon enough, I'll find some faults. And Sherry said, amen. No. Right? And so... When people are persecuting you because you're a follower of Christ, they are really persecuting Jesus, and they are trying to make you fail. So what happens when a pastor fails, or somebody that's in a Christian organization embezzles or has an affair? What happens? It's the front news, right? 
But when a senator does it, it's not even mentioned and it's covered up and there's a slush fund in Congress that pays off people came and believe that they do that and have that slush fund. They pay off people when they have a charge against them to shut them up. How about the next one, number six? They can't be at fault, therefore you must be the problem. (laughs) That's why you get persecuted. They're not doing anything wrong, so you're the cause of the problem, Chris. You're the jerk at work. You're the one that's causing all everybody to work overtime because you're doing your job wrong. Wow. Do they know he's a Christian? Could be. How about the next one? Number seven. You are a stereotype and not a real person. This is what's wrong. We, we label everybody. Our world, I should say it that way. Christians are to see people. I see Ian. I see Brock. I see Heather. I see Stella. I see Ryan. I don't see labels. But once you get to label somebody, it's easier to hate them, isn't it? Oh, he's a Christian. He's an idiot. He believes in creation. Oh, yeah, well, I do have an entire library on scientific evidence for creation. I've got so many books that make your head spin because that information is buried. It's not brought up in the universities. These are leading scientists, but it is not going to be out there because you're a Christian, therefore you don't think you must be dumb. Oh, really? But it's easy to stereotype people. Oh, you're a fanatic. You're, you're the one that goes crazy. Wait, 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 wait. Stop labeling me and see who I am. Man, if we could do that, what would happen? Oh, I see, oh, I see a Democrat. I see a Republican. I see an illegal immigrant. I see a legal immigrant. I see somebody that's, that's uh, Asian. I see somebody that's white. I see, and we label people in our minds, and therefore it's easier to hate and easier to persecute. Are you with me on that? The world, if you're in the kingdom, you don't see that. You may be persecuted for that, but in the kingdom, you see a person for who they are. You see their heart. And that's all you're supposed to see. George Barna is a famous pollster that does lots of Christian research. And and this is an old survey from 2002. They did a ranking how Christians rank in our society in America in the year 2002. Do you know we came ahead of all these 11 categories? Evangelical Christians were despised out of 11 groups. We, We came in at number 10. We lost out only to prostitutes. That's how bad people think of Christians. I mean, I left the survey at home. I meant to bring it. And it's an old survey. It's from 2002 that the general public has a low view of evangelical Christians, people that actually live out their faith. That's what evangelical means. It's not a ritual. You don't just come here and then go live your life any way you want to. You have a real bona fide relationship with Jesus, and every day you're walking with him. Yeah, lawyers were above us. Um, Let's see, Democrats, Republicans, 
uh, firefighters were way at the top. Military was, I think military people had the image in 2002. They were the most favored group. Christians came in 10 out of 11. And that was 2002. I would dare say today that we would be at the bottom. We would be at the bottom. Why will Christians be persecuted? Because if we're working the steps, if we're living out the Beatitudes, we're going to become more and more like Jesus. You are going to become sweeter and more forgiving. And you are going to love people. You're going to become a, a more generous person. You're going to be more thoughtful of other people. First uh, Peter says it this way. Let me, let me turn to First Peter chapter 4. You can if you want to too. First Peter chapter 4. It's way in the back. If you go to Hebrews, just go a little bit further. First Peter chapter 4. It says this, since therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, 2, there, therefore Christ suffered in his body. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past, oh, we, we'll just leave it at that. Basically, Peter is saying, when you suffer for being a Christian, you really are on your road to becoming more like Jesus and sin doesn't have a, a hold on you anymore. If you're willing to lose your job, if you're willing to go hungry, if you're willing to get beat, if you're willing to do all these things for the name of Jesus, for your faith in Jesus, the things of the flesh just kind of fall off of you. You just don't care anymore. You, because you're so driven by understanding who Jesus is. Could you imagine? It says you're done with sin. It's like, yeah, I'm done. The more we work these steps, the less we sin, the more we become like Jesus. And the more we're like Jesus, the more the world's going to hate you. That's life transformation. That is life transformation. So let's go to point number two. How? How does persecution work? How does persecution come? First of all, it comes from other people. You can say men, people. It is a spiritual battle, but that instrument is going to come from people, your coworkers. Even your own family will turn and can turn against you because you are now becoming like Jesus. And in our brain, we're like, why are you upset with me if I'm becoming more like Jesus? for the seven reasons I mentioned and many others as well, I'm sure. Now, what are the forms of persecution? Some of them are physical. Do you know that more Christians have died in the last 120 years than all the centuries combined? A hundred years of Christianity in the 1900s. More Christians died than all the others. Do you remember in the early 90s, two million Christians were slaughtered in Africa. Did you hear about that? The genocide that was going on? No, you didn't hear about that. Why? Eh, they're Christian and eh, they're black. Eh, not very important to us. Oh, my stars. The genocide that has been perpetrated is unbelievable. Physical torture. And you're, you could have loss of job, financial loss. People can steal from you. 
We know a young man, incredible boy, went to Dennis, uh, went to, to uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, South Dakota. He got into it with the professor because he believed in God and the professor did not believe in God, ridiculed him in class to the point that when he wanted to go on to dentistry school, he could not get a letter of recommendation. Therefore, he could not get into the school because he was an outspoken Christian. Folks, it's happening all over in our universities today. Christians that are trying to be loving, kind, are being shut out. And the younger generation, unfortunately, the millennials, they're the worst at persecution. They just, oh, you should see Barna's stats on those, that grouping. Evangelical Christianity is so off the chart below that it, it's not even measurable. People are now marking none of the above. Have you heard that? Do you believe in this, 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 this? Or are you like this, this, this? And the millennials, they're just checking none of the above. I will not be identified by any of that because they're so far off to the left. How about verbal abuse? You're insulted to your face. This word back in our text, if you were to go back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, it says, blessed are, are you when others revile you. The, the, the word in the original language means to cast somebody into your teeth. That's what it means, that they're tearing your flesh verbally. Behind your back, oh, none of you had in none of you have experienced that, right? Nobody's ever talked about you behind your back, right? You know what that's like. So here you are trying to be like Jesus, and people are accusing you like you're the evil one. This word persecute has a basic meaning to pursue, to be the aggressor. To chase after something or someone. It's pursuing to hunt them, mistreat them, or hassle them. That's what that word means, persecute, in the, in the original language. Holy living isn't just being nice to everyone. Holy living is being under the control of of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that He is really ruling you. If we go back to 1 Peter, there's a little bit more out of that text that I want to just read to you. We won't examine it, but we'll read it. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Now remember, He said, look, they're going to persecute you because Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. And then it goes on. He says, but don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or even as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. 
And if he begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who don't even obey the gospel? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the, odd, uh, of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, here's a sum uh, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their soul to a faithful creator while doing good. So what does all this persecution mean? That's the next fail. What? Okay. You're working the steps. You're becoming more and more like Jesus, which means you're forgiving, you're kind, you've lost your critical spirit. That sharp barb that you used to call the tongue, you've, you've, you've left sarcasm away because you started to understand that sarcasm is just a mean way of, of humor. And you just, you're just becoming more and more like Jesus and there's like this glow coming off of you, this living water. People like to be with you. And then there are some people that don't like to be with you. You know what Scripture says about you? You either are the fragrance of life or you're the stench of death. You either please people because of who you are in Christ or you really tick them off because of who you are in Christ. Scripture says that. And so what does persecution mean? Here are three fill in the blanks. It means that you're living in the kingdom and you're being transformed. Woohoo! When you are acting and behaving, now catch this, Goes from the head, goes to the heart, and then from the heart it goes out to the hands. When you're working the steps, when you're able to forgive, 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 people may get upset with you because you're turning the apple cart over, but rejoice because you're working it. You're being transformed. You're not the same person than you were 10 years ago, let alone a year ago. Amen. Praise God. That's how he does it. He, he changes you little by little by little as you surrender to surrender to surrender to surrender. Here's number two. According to the text, he says, wow, you should rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. The word be glad has the literal meaning of skipping. You're happy. You're excited. You just won lotto and nobody knows it but you. And you're happy. You're dancing. You have energy in your step. It means to be skipping and jumping with excitement when he says, be glad. Because if they're persecuting you, that knows you're, you know you're doing right with God. Would you rather be right with the world or right with God? Stupid question. Right? It's rhetorical. We all know. But don't you sometimes want that confirmation? God, am I, am, am I walking in your will? Am I doing the right stuff? Is everything, are you pleased? Am I just kind of drifted off and doing my own thing? And, or are you really excited about how I'm living my life for you? And boy, when people start persecuting you, that's confirmation. God's happy with you. You're being transformed. And number three, you get a double blessing. You're right with God and you're right with self. You might not be ever right with a brother or a sister or a daughter or a child or a boss or a co-worker. You've done your part, but they have to do their part in order to have a reconciliation. You're doing everything right, and guess what? You sleep at night. How many of you like to sleep at night when you lay down your head? I do. Do you know when my conscience is clear? When there is peace that washes over me. Do you ever, 
you ever do that thing where you fall asleep and then eight hours later you wake up and you're in the exact same position? You're like, whoa, I just closed my eyes. What happened? You know, because you were so tired or so at peace. It's a double blessing. You're right with God and you're right with yourself. You sleep at night. So step eight, it's, it's like an encouragement, but it's also just a heads up. I don't even say it's a warning. It's just a heads up. You would think that when you're becoming more like Jesus, everything would be better with all your relationships. Not so. Because you're starting to be transformed and the people around you don't like it. I've had a chance to do some counseling over the years and it's always amazing to have an enabler and the one being enabled. And the one that's being enabled, when they finally get help and they stop, whether it's drug abuse or alcoholism or anything, they stop being enabled. You know who usually gets upset? The enabler. Why? Shouldn't you be happy that the alcoholic is now sober? No. They've ruined up, they've messed up my relationship. I knew how to act in the relationship. I knew how to form in the, perform in the relationship. I knew how, how to navigate. And now he's or she's being kind and, and thoughtful and I don't know what to do and it's making me mad because I'm no longer in control. Oh, there's the word. There's the word. As you give control to Jesus, the people that used to try to put control on you get more upset. Let me pray. Father, I thank you.